Welcome to the latest episode of Do You Know What? This episode is recorded on Monday the 5th of July, a few days after England got to the semi-final of the Euros. I'm Leo Mindell, one of your hosts, and I'm joined here on my virtual couch, along with my other hosts, uh, Rabbi Charlie Beginsky and Rebecca Singerman-Knight. Rebecca, say hello. Hi, Leo. How are you doing? Charlie, you didn't like me giving you a full name, did you? I was just more concerned by the fact that you owned the couch as belonging to you and then almost forgot my name. Uh, well, that's uh, close enough. I, re- <laughs> I remember you're here. That's that's good enough, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure it's good enough, actually. I think it's because normally you own the couch and we're just sitting on the edges is the is how it normally feels. Oh, oh, hurtful, Leo, hurtful. So did you watch the football, Charlie? I did watch the football. The previous game against Germany, we had a, a board meeting during. And so I was kind of, well, I think I wasn't alone in having one eye on the board meeting. Sorry, board. And one uh, eye on the football. But... Um, the England game, the most recent one, uh, Ukraine, absolutely, we were watching on for me, including uh, the zoo. And yeah, great result. I think we need to just be mindful that by the time this episode is released, we'll either have won the final or gone out in the semis on penalties. So depending on what that is, we'll maybe depend on which bits we edit out. Hey, Leo. It's really interesting. So I today was having a conversation with somebody in a shop about this and they were like, yeah, amazing. And I was like, actually, I have quite a lot of concerns. Maybe that's the rabbi in me about you know the amount of domestic violence. We're in a situation of heightened domestic violence at the moment with COVID situation. It goes up every time England lose. So there's a kind of different pressure, I think, on us um, at the moment, which is not just about like what does it do to have our hopes dashed again in a season where we've had hopes dashed time and time again. But I'm, I'm slightly concerned concerned about putting too much hope on uh, on the final because of what it might do to our society to have them crushed. Well, I would agree and I absolutely agree and understand where you're coming from in respect to domestic violence. I still hope that we're in the final and I still hope, as we know, this will be broadcast afterwards, that we have a great final. Charlie, what is it with rabbis and football? Virtually every rabbi I know is a big football fan. Is it something that you learn at, at rabbi school? <laughs> um, I sure that it's every rabbi you know I think that there's a particular dominance around those that of us that grew up in the area because a lot of the rabbis you know are Watford fans and uh, Watford has been notoriously a family club and so for me I grew up in the family stands being able to go to the games get the tickets from my school and our our football club we had a girls football club a tradition taken over by my daughters I'm glad to say they've got their first game on Friday even more important than the England game I think I looked at my leaders at my madrachim my leaders up in the big stands and thought I want to be like you when I grow up and half of them were rabbis so maybe it's that you know liberal rabbis particularly like this idea of leading a service in the morning and then herring it up the road to uh, Watford Football Club and then being very very depressed and morose after the football which is what they some of them in particular do well that tells you more about the rabbis that you know maybe <laughs> It does. It does. And one of those rabbis that I know, as you know, is uh, his last sermon last was this weekend. And he's off to America. Talking about going to America, our guest today is joining us from America. So we have a very large couch. Uh, I'd like to introduce <laughs> Joanna Lovell. Hi there. How are you? Very well. Nice to introduce you. I know you. People who are listening don't. Joanna. The floor is yours. Tell everybody who you are. Oh, my goodness. Well, I've met Leo through office hours slash hybrid ministries, tech forums slash everything technical to do with uh, bringing services to people online. And I live in Bethlehem, PA. I am a former choir director for Unitarian Universalism. We are the liberal religion. We think we're the most liberal religion in the United States, at least. Tell us a bit about Universal Unitarianism. Rebecca, what do you know about it? First of all, I want to know how to pronounce it. And second of all, I want to know what it is because I know nothing. Sure. Okay. So it's Unitarian Universalism because there was a merging of those two religions. It is not Unity Church. That's totally different. So it's Unitarian Universalist. And I'm what they call a lifetime Unitarian, which is very uncommon. Most people come to Unitarianism later in life. As they joke around, they call themselves recovering Catholics. Some of them call themselves Unitarians. 
I've been a lifelong UU because my mother decided to just kind of let us explore our own religious meanderings in life. She was raised Dutch Reformed, which is rather odd, I thought, when I asked her because I couldn't remember. And she took us to a Unitarian church when we were little because she thought we should learn something about the Bible. But it turns out that Unitarians don't really teach a lot from the Bible. They take from many different sources of religion. So all of their sermons are based on the, I think it's like the six sources. There are, and there are seven principles. Everyone is welcome in the door and no one has to believe the same thing, but there are guiding principles that if they don't jive with you, you're not going to stay, if that makes any sense. I only really know the first principle, which is the inherent worth and dignity of every human being. I know that we are mocked a lot because Stephen Colbert called us a cult. We are not a cult. We actually have quite a, a rich history. I think it starts in Transylvania. There's a lot of factions to use. There are like pagans and there are uh, earth-centered people. As a matter of fact, if I was being correct, I would have introduced myself as Joanna Lovell coming to you from the stolen and ancestral lands of the Lenny Lenape people. So they're very conscious of being in America and that we were not the first peoples. There's a lot to it. I think what drew me to it was also for my kids as well, because I let it go for a very long time. But when when you have kids, you're like, okay, well, what religion am I going to bring forth to these kids, right? They're known for having a very good sex ed program. It's called Our Whole Lives. And of course, it is an acronym because everything in UU is an acronym. O-W-L, OWL, Our Whole Lives, jointly written with the UCC Church. Um, and it's it's just a very comprehensive sex ed class. And a lot of parents come to UU's for that specific class. Before we go down that line any further, which I'm sure we will, because I'm sure that'll be really interesting. Probably a very, very stupid question. Never. What role does Jesus Christ have in your church? He is one of the voices that we draw from. Okay. So when you say one. Yes. Okay. What about, okay, so what about the resurrection? So when you're talking about Easter time, that's a tough, that's a tough one. When And I used to find Easter very difficult as a music director as well, because some of the, some sermons would talk about the resurrection, but they talk about it in more, see, I can't speak from the minister's point of view. Mm-hmm. So I'm only speaking from my point of view. My job would be to match what the message was going to be. And a lot of times they would reiterate the story but they would also add questions to the story. One of my favorite sermons was from Reverend Gail Geisenhainer, who gave one called Who Rolled Away the Stone? You know, they'd explore different parts of the story. They don't tear it apart. They tell it as the story, but then they question it. So it's not something that is required you're not required to sort of believe in the resurrection to be a unitarian because in a lot of christian churches my very limited understanding is that the resurrection is kind of fundamental to the christian belief exactly you don't need to believe in anything we we say our dogma ran our karma ran over our dogma (laughs) i like that so there's no dogma that you have to ascribe to but you do want to you know if if those guiding principles are not up your alley then you're not going to be there anyway Hmm. so i've met joanna and a number of other uu members it feels to me very similar to liberal judaism there is a take at face value going to steal one of charlie's lines which is that you know is as the home for your jewish story is that right charlie um i do see liberal judaism as the home for everybody's jewish story i i think we're more rational that's what strikes me is that I think um, liberal Judaism has historically struggled with the kind of naturalistic. So although Judaism has on one hand this real sense of body-soul connection, of not separating the two, and so that locates in terms of that side, it's also very thinking. Um, And that doesn't mean that a naturalistic religion isn't thinking. It just means that it's much more on the rationalist side. And I think that's also partly its British roots, right? It's got a real... Mm. It's got a real kind of British rationalism. That's often a term as well that we use in UUs. That's what attracts people to Unitarianism is that they explore the rationality of religion. You know, not mm. just not just you believe this. Um, as listeners will know, I've sort of come to liberal Judaism sort of later in life from not having had a particularly religious upbringing at all. And some of my friends are like, 
oh, so do you believe in God then? And I'm like, well, I don't know, actually. And it's not actually really about that. It's, and then I explain the whole thing about, you know, Judaism being a peoplehood and a history and a, you know, value system and all of that kind of stuff. And God is a, is a question mark. And if there is a God, what is God or who is God? And that whole kind of thing. But the assumption is that if you are a member of a religion, the assumption on the outside is therefore you believe in God, which is kind of what I asked you, Joe, about Christ, because in my limited understanding is if you're a Christian or one of the Christian churches, you believe in the resurrection. And as you've just said, that's not necessarily the case at all. So I think there's a lot of kind of misconceptions from the outside looking at looking at lots of religions. Absolutely. Looking at your seven principles is that I think many of our members would sign up to all of them. I think the one mm. that where there, there would be, and that's what I, I guess I was leaning towards, is the final one, which is respect, although it says respect rather than adherence to the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. I mean, that's open for Midrash for interpretation if ever there was something. But I think that's what you wouldn't necessarily find us putting on our affirmations in terms of liberal Judaism. But I think from what you're saying to us and and where we are with liberal Judaism, we have a wide tent and that's the best thing. And And I think to me, as I get older, I'm finding that liberal Judaism is running thicker and thicker in me and it's mm. becoming more important. But it's more important because it's a grounding of arguably doing the right things based upon the right principles. And it sounds very similar to what, you're, what you've just described. I think also another thing that I always liked about uh, Unitarianism is we have always been a welcoming congregation, but we go beyond saying we're a welcoming congregation. They created a program back in 1987 that welcomed specifically gay people, right? Gay people who didn't have a place in the Catholic Church anymore, needed a, a spiritual home. So they created this entire program where congregations could apply for the training to be a welcoming congregation. And that was that was a long time ago, 1987. That's right in the middle of the AIDS crisis, right? So that was super important. And it, it has transitioned into being welcoming of trans people and, and really kind of widening the umbrella. And there's each of the congregations now has to go through a new set of training to make sure that they're welcoming to that. And, you know, they have rainbow flags out the side of their congregations, not everybody likes that. There's been some vandalism, but it's a very powerful sign that, yes, you are welcome here. And I thought that was extremely important to me. When you say not everyone likes that, do you mean on the outside or do you mean there are people within the, your communities that don't like that? Not necessarily within my community, within the United States, mm. I should say. Sure, I, mean, oh, I can imagine. The yeah. entire yeah. United States and, uh, and our racial issues and our uh, homophobic issues that we all have. So there's been vandalism, there's been uh, you know signs torn down, flags torn down and things like that. But that Our Whole Lives program really is quite a feat. There's a, a really rigid training that has to happen by the people who instruct the kids. There's a, a, a childhood component to it. There's a teenager component to it. And there's an adult component to it. So whereas you, you think that you're going in because your teenager is 14 and it's time to, t- to give the talk, it's kind of a continuum of, of education. And they use scientific language. The thing that attracted me back to Unitarianism back when I got back into the church was a sermon that I heard uh, by a scientist There are a lot of lay-led services when the Mm -hmm. ministers are off. And this was a scientist who stepped up that day and talked about synesthesia, as a matter of fact, which was, I found incredibly fascinating. And I thought, this is, this is church. This is awesome. This is, this, these are my people. Here are my people right here because there's scientists and intellectuals and all these people talking and questioning. And that was like, okay, I, I think I found my home again. What about the music? Cause you're involved in the music as well. Can you tell us a little bit about the sort of music that you have? Well, actually, yeah, I have my hymnal. I brought out my hymnal. So this is the second hymnal. It's the turquoise hymnal. This is a little bit more inclusive and diverse, uh, diversified mm-hmm. in terms of choices of music. You basically have the world at your fingertips, right? There's no specific match of music to liturgy because there's not really a specific liturgy. And that's not okay. to say that we don't have traditions. We have a flower communion. We have a water communion. We have specific things that we do. But your choices of music are, it's endless. Whatever makes the message drive home, that's the choice of music that you do. So this uh, this hymnal has some great African-American spirituals. We have a, a very uh, popular hymn called Spirit of Life. That's like everybody's go-to hymn. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's again, so the hymnal also draws from all different religions. So you've got different musical styles have yes. you so like you say you've got some that's kind of informed by african spirituals and 
office. Exactly. And when I started, I started after a woman who had founded the church. She was the founder and she had been there for 30 years and she was very staunch classical. Okay. And when I got in, I was like, mm, we're going we're gonna to think outside the box a little bit here. Yeah. And, but I had to kind of change incrementally. You can't just hit them over the head with that. But I, I chose music from a lot of different sources, not just classical. It sounds very familiar, doesn't it, Leo and Charlie? I was going to ask you, Rebecca, <laughs> how, how much of the music at your synagogue have you been able to influence and change? You have to make changes slowly. And to be honest, I'm not driving the change. I'm kind of, I'm more sort of working with my rabbi. And we're not trying to change things wholly because we've got you know, wholesale at all. We've got a really great musical tradition at KLS. But certainly Rabbi Rene and myself are trying to introduce, have started to introduce some new, Wait, some new songs KLS? to the liturgy. Um, KLS is Kingston Liberal Synagogue. Sorry, that's what that's the synagogue I'm the deputy chair of. Okay. So it's part, it's, it's one of the synagogues within liberal Judaism. Rabbi Charlie was a rabbi there for 15 years. Is that right, Charlie? So it's it's Charlie's former synagogue. So yeah, we're introducing, we're introducing some, some new music, but slowly... And we're not kind of wholesale trying to change things because you're right, you can't just do yeah. that. <laughs> you, and, you know, music is something that's very, very personal to people and it's very much part of people's spirituality yes. and the way that they express that. And obviously, again, you know, there's always a tension between the more, I guess, sort of traditional classical styles that some people are very wedded to and the more kind of modern, maybe more contemporary kind of poppy feel that, you know, can be quite divisive but yeah. I think as long as you try and meet all needs and not try to go one way or the other then I think most people or certainly my experience most people are happy to accept the music that might not be their choice as long as they get the opportunity to you know have their music as well there was a, an interesting thing I was on last week or and they were saying that everybody thinks about music in in Judaism and with tradition and I think mm -hmm. it was on something I was with with Joanna and the and the fact is that we've been listening to the same music traditionally for a number of years except for the majority of music we or a, a huge percentage of the music we have in liberal Judaism was written in the last 25 plus mm -hmm. years by one person and is used in in an incredible amount and that's the tradition that we have Charlie in your time as being a, a rabbi you heard all that that music come in from uh, Debbie Freeman. Yes, and I also grew up in the youth movement where it um, hit, I think, before it hit our congregations um, and seen the, you know, the journey of it really for also those people who love it and it's very much part of their liberal identity and those people who hate it and those people <laughs> who now see it as very traditional and actually yes. want to move either back to it or away from it. So yes, it's been a life cycle really The Debbie Friedman who was the absolute founder of that style of music and of making it part of our communities. How much music is in a typical service? It depends on what you mean by a service or a typical service. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, is there a typical service, I suppose? I, it really depends on the congregation. Mm. It depends on their resources as well. So some congregations like Rebecca's are really blessed with lots of musicians and a choir and um, a rabbi. And a very musical rabbi. rabbi. Yeah. yeah. Whereas any congregation that inherited me, who's completely not musical, then it might be a very different thing. Or also many of our small communities may have great, you know, I was in Oxford recently, um, got really interesting congregation, which is made up of lots of different denominations. And they lead the whole service themselves. They deliberately don't have a rabbi or one uh, specific lay leader. They lead it between them. And they do the same with the music. And so they've really cultivated a great uh, load of song leaders. And so their music is so much part of their service. Whereas there'll be others who that's just, you know, it's not the way they do the service and the liturgy kind of lends itself to either way. I think it's been very interesting during COVID to watch what's happened to music and how music is used. So, for example, I think many of our congregations would have absolutely balked at the idea of pressing play and playing something from outside during a service, even though many of them could have used it because they don't have song leaders. They would have just not have done that. Whereas during COVID, we've had plenty of pre-recorded stuff playing during services. But also congregations have got very creative. I mean, our, ours has, and I know a lot of others have as well. So, for example, our choir, who are, you know, mainly sort of on the kind of older side of the generation, but they have absolutely embraced the technology. And so, you know, they all kind of record their own, themselves and our choir director mixes it all together with a, you know, in a, with an audio program. And then I've been kind of putting video images to it and creating video.
videos out, out of the songs, which has been that's great. Awesome. That's very um, cool. You know, that's and what it's, I was talking about when I said I was freelancing. That is what I've been doing. Okay. I, yeah. I was an audio engineer and I was a choir director and the two have come oh. together and I've learned. Really skills. Well yeah. Making, yeah, exactly. So that's what I've been doing. Well, we've also seen, so in the UK, Liberal and Reform Judaism have had a growth in cantors in the last couple of years when the Orthodox have had their hazans for a long time. Although they are interchangeable, sometimes I see the words used interchangeably. I see them as completely different. The expression of music that I see from cantors and the use of new music and the use of instruments to go with that, you know, are just wonderful. I, I really enjoy services with it. And then we have people playing the plinky plonk, don't we, Rebecca? We do, yeah, which is a very important role. You never underestimate the plinky plonkinist. Well, except that that was so controversial, right, mm-hmm. when that was yeah. introduced in progressive synagogues. That was the idea that we were making it like church. And actually, in some places, that was very deliberate. They wanted it to be like church. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you didn't grow up with that or you grew up in a, in a more traditional synagogue, to walk into a synagogue with an organ um, or a piano is is very, very odd. I know that like my dad, that was one of the, the things he found the most difficult to get used to. Um, that was the most really difficult. Is- when my, some of my relatives walked in and saw a rabbi holding a guitar, they're like, <laughs> uh, they, they're almost they're having a heart attack. Yeah. That is very odd, except that once you'd already made that jump towards Debbie Freeman, I suppose that that was, I don't mean Debbie on her own, but, you know, into into much more kind of folky music than the guitar was a natural progression. Joanna, do you have service leaders leading with guitars? Yes, but mostly mostly piano. But we definitely have our share of also very musical ministers as well who love to bring out their guitars and join in with the choir, for sure. And, yeah, there's always that whole the folky aspect to it. But folk songs are truly usually songs with a message. And that's kind of where I have to draw from. Like I have to try to, to convey some sort of a message in the music. It's not just random songs. The song has to say something about what the messages of the day. And a lot of folk music does have message. What, what I find funny is Charlie says she's not musical, except for everything that she ever quotes is from Bob or Leonard. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a poet. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's more the lyrical side of things, yeah, isn't it? Definitely. Exactly. Yeah, because they were real poets. They were real poets, and music really moves me. And I, you know, I there's a piece in the High Holy Day liturgy that says about um, now I won't be able to remember the exact words, but it talks about the sadness of someone who has a song inside them that hasn't been sung, oh. and that always see that's lyrical again. That always deeply speaks to me because although it's not meant literally I do feel it I'm one of those people who loves music who hears it who thinks in and yet then you know Ellie who is my mini me has this incredible voice she's got a really amazing voice and I think when your kid does something that that you can't my son's a dancer and I can't dance either (laughs) and you see that and it's like whoa you know there's something really god-given in that moment yeah I think I think when you watch your children they exceed your skills in something that you only just wish you could do you know and I exactly the same my my daughter's singing is far superior to mine. In fact, everybody has told me never to sing ever again (laughs) many, many, many times. Uh, But in both of my kids are more musical than I am, even though I, like you, Charlie, just love music. To me, it's, it's a critical point. What about your own children? I was just going to say there's a big sort of push in the music community of UU to be considered as music is a ministry. You are, you are bringing forth you're empowering people to sing. And if I had a nickel for every time somebody told me, oh, they said I couldn't sing when I was in sixth grade, so I've never sung again. Mm-hmm. That happens all the time. Now, who mm-hmm. are all these awful music teachers that are crushing people's dreams? I don't know. But my job, as a, especially as a, as a church choir director, is it's, it's an open door. Anyone who wants to potentially sing can come in. And I've really had to like draw some people in. And it is quite satisfying when you give people their voice and they, and they sing with you and they sing, you know, put them in the middle of the choir and have them be surrounded by other voices. It's quite a powerful thing. Um, so music is a ministry as well as what the, what the minister does. And usually it's, it's, a, it's a duo team in any of the congregations that they work very closely together to um, get the message of the day across. 
I th- and I think that's a, a, an excellent way to way to go. So one of the things I want to know about in the Jewish world in North America, they go on camp. That's a <laughs> big part of what they do this time of the year. Do you use do a similar thing? Yes, there's a lot of and I guess we'd call it summer camp. And we also teasingly call it hippie camp because a lot of all the tie dye comes out. Um, I actually go to um, a yearly event in a university in North Carolina. It's called Western Carolina University, where it's an intentional community of a thousand people. And we put on workshops and cabarets and a play. And the teenagers do a play by the end of the week, a, a musical. It's quite something. That's it's called, of course, there's an acronym, SUSI, the Southeastern Unitarian Universalist Summer Institute. And this is for adults and for kids. Yes, it's completely intergenerational. And also that's the big draw of it as well. And if you have a teenager coming up, once they turn 13 to 14, they're allowed to, to stay in their own dorms and they're supervised in their own dorms. So it's like this great coming of age kind of a thing as well. That's just one of them. There's plenty of them that happen all around the country. There's Star Island. There's the Grove, you know, up and down the East Coast. I know all the East Coast ones, but they happen everywhere. So, Charlie, are we going to have camps for adults? How about that? Or would you say that it's hard enough dealing with camps for kids? Well, biennial is close to a camp for adults, right? Yeah, we can just about last three days before we're murdering each other. <laughs> yeah, you know, the rabbi that you mentioned before, Rabbi Pete, always had this dream of an LJ kind of retreat center where you you could do kind of more intensive, you know, study, experiential. I mean, Pete, he, he kind of his pinnacle um, not in his career, but in his, you know, in his, in his head where he'd love to be was Kadima and camps. And I think he, he loved the idea of, of transferring that to to adults. I think the, the problem is when it comes to adults, you're facing a whole other set of issues in terms of, you know, anybody who's got kids or pets or, you know, responsibilities. That's why, you know, weekend works better than being able to try and go away for a week. Yeah, this is a week-long event and they actually have a co-op dorm where – um, the families all stay together and then they have parents that are kind of like hall monitors. So other parents can go out and dance at, at the dance. Uh, and there's usually a schedule, a rotating schedule where there is a parent that stays back at the dorm for each floor. And so that it works out very nicely. We have dances. We have it's like playtime for adults. It's really quite amazing. It's a lot of fun. I always wanted to do soft play for adults. Get messy very quickly. <laughs> that would be great. I love these massive soft play centres. There's a couple in London, and I can't remember what they're called, but they're the ball. Yeah, exactly. Big ball for pit. adults. Do they serve alcohol? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was hearing about them today, and they clean their balls every 24 hours. <laughs> as you can imagine, as you can imagine, they reckon that the 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 ball pools for adults get. <laughs> Uh, are actually need to be cleaned more often than the ball pools for kids. No! Because they, they, no, they also allow alcohol. Further, <laughs> this might be the moment for the uh, publicity shot, Rebecca. Much better. <laughs> oh, and probably an episode title as well. It's not just I about clean balls. I quite fancy though, trying, like Miri, trying the aerial hoop or like circus. Yeah. yeah. So to explain, Joanna, one of our rabbis uh, did a recording that we used recently of her. Uh, you doing can follow a- her on Instagram as well. Yeah. She does aerial acrobatics. Is that the best description? Hmm. Very talented at it. Very cool. In New York City, there's a, in Chelsea, there's a trapeze school that you can, you can take. I'm sure there's other places, but I just happen to know of that one. Mm. I think there are so many alternative ways of doing entertainment and, and learning of things now, which are great. I think, Charlie, a week led by Pete Tobias could open your mind. Me personally. To, to all of us, <laughs> all of us, to a different world that we didn't know existed. You have to ask Pete what I say to him every time I see him and he'll tell you exactly what I think of spending a week trying to organise Pete doing a week for yeah, adults. I didn't say anything about organising. Oh, I can't okay. believe... I assume Pete's programme planning will be... We're going to rock up and we're going to do it on the fly. 
let's organize it now. It is such a well-organized event. Almost everyone volunteers for something and everyone brings their own knowledge. So all those workshops are are just given by people who are attending. It's the thing that they do. There's a recycling workshop by these two people who know everything there is to know about recycling. There's nature trips for people who know how to go out in nature and and travel down a river and stuff. So you you bring your own thing forth. Of course, I'm all involved in the music community. So I'm all, I do cabaret and I, and I coach the kids and that. You know, so everything I do is music related and worship related. They put worship services on. There's like seven worship services, highly organized. So we're talking about camps. Charlie, it's all full full swing for LJ Wynetzer. Yeah, it's amazing. So LJ Wynetzer is our youth movement. And um, I mean, it's been touch and go, but it's really looking more uh, go now that we'll be able to have two weeks for our eight-year-olds right up until our 17-year-olds and all of the leaders um, as well who are 18 plus this summer. So we're, we're really, really hoping that that goes to plan because I know the kids cannot wait, the leaders cannot wait, and most certainly the parents cannot wait. So the, the leaders, I think, are meeting. To, is it today they're meeting or tomorrow? They're meeting over a whole period of time, depending on the camp that they're on and which bit that they're doing. And there's lots and lots of planning taking place. So I know this because the daughter should be at that, but she got the COVID, you must self-isolate text last week oh, for no. eight days. So she comes out of self-isolation tomorrow. And I think she's immediately packing herself up and rushing off to the arrangement days. It's all over over now isn't it Every, both my kids schools not the kids years thankfully but both my kids schools have got um, have had covid outbreaks as yeah. we like kind of look for two weeks when supposedly all restrictions are going to be and actually by the time this comes out might have been lifted mm. um, and there's some really interesting questions around what it means to be personally responsible now um, and how we're moving from a kind of very clear instructions into uh, taking personal responsibility and what does that mean and what's the ethics and I think there are a lot of questions around that for Jews well for Christians as well um but around the ethics may I ask what the status of your country is how many what's the percentage of people that are vaccinated it's very high first vaccinations in the upper 80s off the top of my head and second vaccinations are growing really fast and is that for all age groups? Um, above eighteen. Yeah, we haven't we haven't made any decisions about vaccinating under eighteen year olds yet. Oh my goodness! So that's why there's a lot of you know the case rates are actually very high at the moment. Yeah, but it's predominantly in school age and very young people. Right, um, not in older people as well. So hospitalizations are not particularly increasing deaths are very low um but there's a lot yeah amongst a younger group there's yeah. still a lot of it but the thing that they've turned it around is that they've said that as of a certain period of time masks potentially going to be optional which puts the emphasis back in everybody's hands as to what they want to do and what they don't want to do i don't mind that as long as then there is an acquisition on either side it's like I if I choose to wear a mask on public transport, which I think I will, uh, you know, let me wear my mask without saying you should take it off. You know, that's where it becomes a difficulty. And I think there will be guidance. Well, again, when this episode goes out, we'll know. But I think the idea is that there will be guidance about wearing masks, particularly in kind of crowded indoor, unventilated spaces. And certainly, if I got into a crowded tube, I think I would very much want to be wearing a mask. I, I'm laughing because Americans can't be guided. Very much back to normal here. There are there is no mask mandate. Sixty percent of the entire population is already vaccinated. They are having trouble convincing the 18 to 26 year olds to get vaccinated, and they are the ones that are now feeling the, the effects of the, del- of the Delta variant, but they're still not, they're not coming to get their own vaccinations. But it's only, so it's open to everyone from 12 and over. Anyone can get a vaccination and it's a pretty good percentage. So there's no mask wearing. I mean, everything is like literally back to normal and it's a little bit scary for me. Like, I, I feel like, are you sure? <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm a little bit tenuous about it. I think we're going to have the same thing. I think when we open up in a couple of weeks, I think there's still going to be people who are very anxious um, because we all have been, you know, scared for the last 18 months, frankly. And, and, and you know, we can't just suddenly switch that off and go, oh, everything's fine again. Yeah. And obviously, eight different individuals have different reasons to be more scared than others. You know, people with health conditions and older people, even if they've been vaccinated. But, you know, I mean, I think we have to trust the vaccines and be sensitive 
responsible and take personal responsibility. You said earlier, Charlie, that LJY Nets has camps are back on. So I assume that's going to mean that of the day, you're going to be standing there waving goodbye as you throw your three children onto the bus and running in the office in the opposite direction. Well, there's no there's no bus this year, so I will be taking them and then extricating this youngest while the other two uh, leave, wave goodbye. Leave and very never happily. want to know about you ever again. Goodbye. Yeah, exactly. Um, the the youngest is going to be. I mean, it's a long time, isn't it? Two weeks is a long time for an eight year old for the first. It is a long um, time. That's true. Yeah. Time and especially uh, after the lockdown and everything, and she's been. Yeah, one of the struggles, for example, has been, and I haven't told her this because this might be the end of it. But is that because they're in different bubbles and those bubbles can't mix, um, she won't be able to hug her brother and sister when she's there. They'll maybe see each other from a distance, but she won't actually be able to. And that's always been the comfort for her. The other two are not that bothered. But for her, she'll be really, that would make a massive difference knowing that they're around. And the idea that she'll be able to see them but not have a hug is going to be really hard. So you you have the two weeks to look forward to without your kids this summer yes rebecca you've got your daughter what what's the date for your daughter's wedding my daughter's getting married on the 28th of august so i have got to plan a mother of the bride speech because i am giving the keynote parent (laughs) speech so we we can't really go into in too much detail because this episode will come out before then I don't. I have no idea what I'm going to say, so <laughs> I can't. I, there's no spoilers to give. I've got that, and then I've got to do my devoir for my bat mitzvah in October. <laughs> so I've got two like major things that I have to write for the next few months, and not get them mixed up because that would be strange. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, well, it depends. That's it. Give the wrong speech. <laughs> for your wrong dinner. speech at the wedding. <laughs> not sure she's going to be too impressed with that. Yeah. So that's my big summer event. I think you're having some concerns about the dress arrival of where it would be stored in between. Oh, Leo, this was a conversation we had. Yeah, so my daughter is pretty relaxed about the wedding. She is not a nervous bride. I'm a nervous mother of the bride, but she is not a nervous bride. Except she did say to me the other day, she said, the one thing I am worried about is when you're storing my wedding dress... It's going to get covered in cat hair. To which I said, I'm not going to like just throw it onto the sofa and say to the cats, there you go. Here's your new cushion for the next few weeks. What do you think? At least she's not worried that her wedding will land on the England final, though. Yes. This was an interesting discussion I had at the weekend. So one of our rabbis is getting married next Sunday. And is that when the final is on Sunday? Yeah. And she revealed to me that she said there's absolutely no hope of her family staying if if England are in the final. When she found out that her own father skipped his brother's bar mitzvah to go and watch an absolutely relevant football game. (laughs) Her dad did say that he'd put up a big screen at her wedding so that everybody can, can watch. So that's what your kids are up to. Joanna, yours? Well, I have a 23 year old son and a... 20-year-old non-binary person. So we could use an entirely other episode to talk about that if you'd like. That's been a journey. Uh, My 23-year-old is in community college. Uh, He's a musician and he kind of tried his hat at being a musician post-high school. And but now he's in community college to study to be an electrician. So he's very happy about that. But of course, now all the music starts to come back. Now he just wants to write and he set up his studio again because now it's not this thing that he was trying to do, which is kind of what we were trying to say to him all along. Look, music can be in your life for your entire life. And, you know, but it, but it's good to have a pursuit of other things. Uh, he's still pretty great. He is um, a little bit mixed up in terms of trusting the government and trusting the vaccines. And he's chosen not to vaccinate. Oh, gosh. It's the subject of a lot of uh, angst in, difficult. in my household, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's very tough. And we, my 90-year-old mother, he wouldn't, couldn't go to her birthday party. So. Do you think that that's, um, and I'm sure there's a whole episode there as well, Joe, but do you think that that's because he has been influenced by some of the conspiracy kind of theories that are out there and on social media? Do you think that's what's driving yes. this reluctance? The, the short answer is yes, absolutely. Um, he's kind of in that feedback loop of 
of the things that come to him now on social media are about things that make him distrust everybody. That's very scary, isn't it? He's highly influenced uh, by his father and, you know, they live together. And for some reason, even though I married a very liberal Jew from Queens, somehow he has turned into this very conservative airline pilot who, um, who is a conspiracy theorist. So they feed off each other. But it, I got to say, my son does have very much an open mind because he says, you know, I hear your side of it and that makes sense. And I hear dad's side of it and that makes sense. So he's really just kind of in this middle place where he just doesn't know who to try. I think that's actually the same with a lot of this is, you know, one side will claim that the other side is a conspiracy theorist. And, and it's just super difficult to actually sit there and almost because we're in the middle of the moment. Yeah. And, and, and actually we've, it's already been proven many times that nobody has a hundred percent correct answers on every single element of it. So some things will move backwards and forwards between that. And what was in quotes, a conspiracy at the beginning on some of these areas has actually proved proven correct. And then vice versa. You're talking about the Wuhan laboratory there, but I think we have to be very careful about both sidism here, Leo, because I don't think it's, and I'm sorry, Joe, to say this, but I, I don't think it's okay to be an anti-vax conspiracy conspiracy theorists. I don't think that's just like a valid other view. I think that that's frankly dangerous. To me, there are two bits to this. There is a lot of the edges are not known, but I'm absolutely in agreement with you at the moment, Rebecca, that the way to go forward is, I'm, you know, everybody should be getting vaccine the same way as mm. I remember. And I remember this, and maybe you do, Rebecca, when the seatbelt law came out in the UK. And you used to have all these people telling you that, mm. well, no, 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 seatbelts don't save you. You wear a seatbelt, yeah. you're going to be sliced in half yeah. and all this sort of thing. And it's like, it's not the case. It was just, you, you just didn't want to wear a seatbelt because you felt it was being restrictive. And another example is when motorbike helmet laws come out and it's like, going to have to make this a law because you're not following the rules. Yeah. And actually knowing people who've had motorcycle accidents and knowing people who have car accidents in both cases, they have survived because of the fact that they were forced by law to do something that they may have chosen to not do. Yeah, but again, I mean, I don't know if I would go as far as to say that we should be forcing people by law to take the vaccines. Again, that's another another argument. I would think that. I, I think there's an argument for saying that. I just, I think we have to trust the science. And I think scientific endeavour and scientific knowledge is not opinion. Yes. And that's the point that I constantly try to make to my son, but in, rightfully so, we, we've been a country that's been very dis- distrustful of the drug companies. Yeah. Um, there's the opioid crisis. It's awful. And like, so there had to be this shift from, oh, drug companies are bad and they're just pushing their drugs to all that drug companies are saving our lives. And I, he's just not there yet. I don't know. It, it's not that he doesn't trust the science. He just, he doesn't trust the source of the goodness that is coming from the drug companies, if that makes yeah. sense. Like they're, their intention. It's the same sort of argument to say that you distrust teachers because they told me one thing. So all teachers are bad. It's like, no, they're not. You know, education is a good thing, not a bad thing. We have pockets of Jewish communities, especially in New Jersey, northern New Jersey, that are completely anti-vax. Is that because are they orthodox? I'm not sure what faction of Judaism they are, but they're very anti-vaccination of all vaccinations, the measles. All vaccinations. And and they've had outbreaks a number of times. How do you address that? Charlie, explain (laughs) the Upper West Side. Does Charlie want to speak for the Orthodox <laughs> community? No. no, I really don't want to speak for anybody. I think that people find pressures in different places and respond to situations in different ways. And we're all seeking. I mean, really interestingly, I think that our um, rabbis are trying to, as we we head towards the um, so here on the seventeenth of July, there's going to be. Uh, a change of restriction and I think more than ever we're really looking to our rabbis to lead on what the ethic is like what are the ethics questions and we're constantly balancing these up and there's the ethic of as as has been talked about here but then there's also those people who for having masks on all the time has meant that they have been 
um, isolated from mm-hmm. society. People um, with disabilities, people with uh, with autism, have really struggled with the interaction. It's difficult enough for people who who um, I was talking to somebody the other day whose child hates not being able to predict situations. So they like to know what's happening next. When when people seem uh, unpredictable, they find it very ha- hard. And that mask wearing has added to that because they're left with even fewer clues about how somebody's going to react. And so these questions around ethics and what's the right thing is, um, if there is such a thing, are becoming more and more complex. So no, I don't want to answer the questions about the ultra-Orthodox, but I really think that some of those questions around the nuance, once you move out of a situation where it's not regulations and do this or don't do this, and where right is kind of either you obey the law or you disobey, and now we're in a whole different set of rights and wrong we have to maybe look rather than the government but to our religious leaders or to you know those people who are working in the sphere of ethics so we've all been sitting here we're now unlocked nearly nearly (laughs) and we've already talked about the football what other things that you've been doing culturally uh start with you rebecca Okay, I have been watching Your Honour, but the American version, I haven't seen the Israeli version yet. Charlie, have you seen the Israeli version? I didn't even know there was an Israeli version. Oh, yeah, no, it's actually based on an Israeli. It's one of these dramas that's based on an Israeli, which I was really annoyed because I saw that it was streaming. And then when I went back to actually purchase the Israeli version... It was no longer available, so I'm watching the Brian Cranston one. I think I'm up to episode seven, so no spoilers, please. It's it's really kind of a slow burn, isn't it? I found it was the opposite of a slow burn. Like it was like it's a true. very quick burn, and now it's a kind of slow burn. I haven't actually finished watching it. All right, but in terms, oh, you see, yeah, no, actually, I am. I'm finding it the, the different because to begin with, I was like, yeah, eh, okay, and it's just creeping up in me in terms of kind of the style and the atmosphere of it all, and I think it's kind of growing on me now so that's my main thing that i've been watching i got through half of the friends reunion that was so annoying yeah i managed about 10 minutes of that i i loved friends when it was out originally but i was watching that and it was like i mean it was just the plastic surgery matt lebonk has aged and like fair play to him and the others have just kind of been fr- quite literally frozen in time other <laughs> plastic surgeons yeah because like i'm the same age as they are but you know i look older than i did then they don't <laughs> What about you, Joe? What what recommendations have you got for us box set wise or anything? I wise? cannot find anybody to talk about Stichel with. No one <gasps> has watched it. I know that you all have watched it, but we need to reconvene and talk about it, please. Because I was blown away by that that whole series. It is probably the best television. Oh my goodness. Drama it, series it ever amazing. made. And talk about slow moving. Like yeah. yeah. But if you stick with it, oh my gosh. I thought I thought it was amazing. But no one, I don't know anyone to talk about. You Have you found, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of non-Jewish friends who love it. Yeah. You know, yeah. a yeah. lot of non-Jewish friends. And they're yeah. like, the, the Jewish thing becomes kind of irrelevant. It's human. It's a human story, even though it's so wedded in, in Hasidic Judaism. Yes. Yes. You know, that kind of just gets faded into the background. And it's just the characters and the relationships and the acting. And again, just the atmosphere, just the feel of it is, yes. is so beautiful. I love the music from that. Whole yes, that I agree. Whole, I went and looked up the soundtrack and I went and looked up that person who wrote the soundtrack. And I'm trying to get some of it on the piano, piano oh. teacher right there's some beautiful passages that i would love to do uh, piano violin things so i agree i also recently watched something called solos and i think it's on hbo max so Hmm. it's it's like five one act sort of plays oh it's um yes one of them is the devil wears prada anne hathaway is that right possibly i think so i think it's on amazon prime more yeah i don't i don't know what station it's on I, i forget it's not one of them. Um, Morgan Freeman was the last one. I found all of them to be so amazing because talk about oh. ethical decisions that happen in the future because they're all futuristic. They're all things that happen with all this technology and, you know, uh, medication in, in an arm. Like it's just it's so it's a look into the future and what ethically can happen. I thought that was great. And of course, Mayor of Easttown. I don't know if yes. you know. Oh my gosh. Yes. That was, I've watched that recently. Charlie loves that. Oh my gosh. I could have sworn that that was filmed in Bethlehem where I live because there's a South side Hill that looks exactly like that Hill in that, that they have. And then, but it, it was filmed a couple of counties down the road from me, Delaware County. And they, 
they loved it so much down there. They opened up a brand new Wawa and they named the hoagie after mayor of East town. <laughs> the steak hoagie with the peppers. They gave them the way the whole first day of, of the opening. Wawa is a silly, it's a, it's a convenience store. Oh, okay. And she always got those hoagies from Wawa. So, oh. And that was amazing. I was that just, was very, very I good. need more. I want more. And it's done. Leo, what about you? Well, talking about things which are done, I sat there, turned on my podcast app um, and listened to the latest episode of Answer Me This. And they've announced that the next episode of Answer Me This will be the last. It's Ooh. their 400th episode by Helen Zoltman and Ollie Mann. 15 plus years they've been doing that podcast. They must have been one of the first podcasts. When did podcasts first become a thing? Some of their early episodes, they are talking about, we're doing this thing called a podcast, which nobody knows what we're actually doing and why we're yeah. doing it. They are now grandfathered into the podcast so world. big fans of Do You Know What have answered me this to thank for introducing the genre. Yeah. Exactly. It's just a bit sad to see um, the end of uh, Answer Me This podcast. Well, people now have Do You Know What to replace. They do. And there's always something real strength in knowing when your time is, like leaving when people are still wanting more. This is why I think there shouldn't be another series of Schtitzel, even though I would love there to be another one. In some ways, yeah. I would love there to be another one. The last episode of third series was just so perfect. Yeah. I think they should just leave it there. Okay, but I still want another series of Pushing Daisies. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough, Leo. <laughs> and then there were things like Friends that went on about three or four se- seasons too much. too much, didn't they? <laughs> Jump the shark. Yeah, they jump the shark. So, Joanna, thank you for joining us today on the couch and allowing us to sit with Charlie. Rebecca and I find it very difficult, as you heard earlier. Where, <laughs> if people would like to hear from you and follow you, where can people find you on social media? I have an Instagram. It's jlovel3348. I'm on Insta and I'm on Facebook as well, just under my, my name, Joanna Lovell. And so what sort of pictures do you post on Instagram? I put up pictures of my cat. Oh, Yay. or you get a big thumbs up from Rebecca, who's basically <laughs> cats and daisies. And musical events, you know, things like that, things that, that are meaningful to me, which is usually music or cats. <laughs> Yay, music and cats. I can totally relate. That. So Rebecca, where can they see the pictures of you, your cats, your flowers, My garden. and everything else in the garden? Yeah, Instagram, Rebecca Singerman Knight, Twitter at R Singerman, uh, Facebook, just my name. And um, follow my shawl as well, at Kingston Lib Shawl. Charlie, where can they follow you now that the house will be empty? You got rid of the three kids. The dog's going to be tied to the lamppost outside. So uh, where can they follow you on social? I'll be in Kudos. Do they still call it Kudos in Watford Town Centre? (laughs) (laughs) See, that's the thing. For anybody who's lived in or around Watford, you can date what age you are, depending on what the nightclub was called. If it was called Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost! If it was called Kudos. If it was called Bailey's. Destiny. Yeah, you can date how old you are and depending what the nightclub scored. Same place, same expensive thing. Oceana. They just kept renaming it every time. So that's where I'll be. And when I'm not there, I will be on Twitter as Rab Charlie and on Facebook as me and sometimes in Clubhouse and basically just retweeting Leo and Rebecca and making them feel like this is all about them. It's about time she learns, isn't it, Leo? It is. Remember, Rebecca, we've only got five months to go before it's back to always about Charlie. (laughs) Happy birthday. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Comes around so often. You can follow me on Twitter as WFC Kigo. You can also see me on Facebook. And uh, that's about it, really. It's I'm looking forward to uh, the summer of sport that is already on the go and continuing throughout the summer. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for joining us. It's been lovely to chat. Thank you. It was a great chat. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. And we look forward to meeting you again on our next episode in a few weeks' time. Bye for now. Bye. 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 Bye.